Three, two, one. I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Silence, silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. What's up, everybody? This is your girl Shanti Das, proud founder of Silence the Shame. We got my boy Free, the Vision. Shout out in the building. Joy is here. The whole crew is here. Um. I know it's been a minute, but we have been pounding the pavement and out here trying to do the good work in our community around mental health. So welcome, welcome again. Thank you for everyone that has tuned in to our previous five episodes. Um, This is episode six of the Silence of Shame podcast, and you can catch us on iTunes and we'll soon be available in about a week on all the other digital platforms. So um, progress. Yes. You know, it it takes the village. Mm -hmm, We are pulling it all together and getting our resources in order. And um, I'm excited for you. So uh, the foundation, you know, which is kind of um, near and dear to me. Right. Mm -hmm. We have silence of shame, but I want everybody to know that it's a part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And the hip hop professional foundation, which is my foundation, um, is about to get its 501c3. Hey, shout out. Yay, Congratulations. Clap. So clap, trap, clap, whatever you need to do. <laughs> we are all excited about that. And soon we'll be raising funds and able to do even more in the community. And so, um, the Hip Hop Professional Foundation has three key impact areas. Um, it's to empower and enrich the lives of those in underserved communities around youth empowerment, mental health, and poverty. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, Silence to Shame is our mental health movement that just continues to grow it does um so a lot of if interest you guys in it are too. not following us please follow us on instagram at, at silence the shame we're on facebook at, at silence the shame now and our website silence is out there and uh, as of this week the website as well will be getting um updates on a weekly basis Woo-hoo! Mm-hmm. so y'all we are we're moving and shaking um but anyway, we have some important stuff to discuss today. Uh, yes. I'm really excited about this topic and our guest that's here with us. So we're going to talk about um, black men yes. and mental health. So the title of today's podcast is Brothers, Get Your Mind Right. Mm-hmm. We need y'all to be okay with talking about mental health and, and what's going on in our community. So we want to welcome to the show um, Vaughn Gay. Let's give it up, everybody. Good afternoon. Woo! How's everyone doing? So excited to have you. Um, where did we first meet? I think we met at, the, at, at, the at your silence the same. At uh, the event. gathering spot. Exactly. Maybe yes. about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Shout out to the gathering spot for allowing us to have a mental health symposium there in May for that mental health. Month. That, that was excellent. That was an excellent panel. It really was. I mean, yeah. not bad, right? 80 people? Mm-hmm. It was nice. And so what you didn't know, there were a lot of us that have worked together in previous settings. And so really? it, was, it was almost kind of like a homecoming of mental health mm-hmm. practitioners that oh, you're that's awesome. So yeah. a lot of good things were born out of that event outside of just discussing, you know, different oh, topics thank about you for mental sharing health. That. Absolutely. Because what we're trying to do, you know, obviously it's so many wonderful organizations um, around the country as well as in the city of Atlanta that are doing great work. But we kind of want to like lead the way and, and bring everyone together and um, affect how we deal with it from a pop culture standpoint yes. and just try to be able to open more doors even for folks like yourself. Absolutely. Or other organizations like NAMI and Mental Health America and so forth. So we're just glad to be here. Um, Vaughn, can you share with us a little bit about your background where you went to school what you majored in because even there may be someone that's interested in doing what you're doing gotcha. and from a career path standpoint okay. we also at silence the shame want to make sure that we are sharing for those that actually want to work in this area okay. so that they know what path to take all right so i'll kind of blend my personal and professional yeah. background together oh and, so. and y'all he is an original atl hey, there's not that many shout out born and raised, born and right raised here. shout out wasn't a grady baby i was a piedmont baby but you know <laughs> okay and i was a Crawford baby <laughs> so i feel that we always talk about grady babies i was born right on Peachtree, so I feel as if I'm nice. officially, officially, yes. you know. It uh, works. Uh, grew up in Decatur. Grew up right over the in Decatur. Deck. Absolutely. Uh, 33 years old right now. Went to high school in Stone Mountain, Stevenson High School. Okay. Um, started mm-hmm. off undergrad at Morehouse College. Mm-hmm. Ended up finishing up at Kennesaw State in 07. I studied sociology when I was at Kennesaw State. Mm-hmm. I immediately packed my car um, a month later and drove down to Statesboro. Went to Georgia Southern for graduate school. Wow. Studied psychology there. Finished up in 2009. Um, and so I think I may have been about 24, 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, came back to Atlanta with the mentality of, you know, I'm about to come here and kick down the doors and I'm about to, you know, really kind of you know, bring this whole mental health thing to the forefront. Sure. Um, but again, with working in a, any type of 
health career, you know, there's a licensing process you have to go through mm-hmm. and ensure mm-hmm. that you have mm-hmm. all of your uh, supervision and direct experience, what have you. So I spent six years um, as a mental health practitioner and as a supervised trainee okay. um, working in Southwest Atlanta for t- uh, two different agencies. And so what I started to notice very quickly was that there were not a lot of black men that were working within the field of mental health. Um, mm. It's already a big taboo within yeah, the black community. Yeah, very true. So mm-hmm. when you really kind of, you know, I call it working in the belly of the beast, you know, I knew a lot about Atlanta, but when I started working with certain populations, there were corners and pockets of the city that I'd never seen before. Mm. And the themes were consistent, unemployment, uh, poverty, mm-hmm. deprivation, um, mm-hmm. issues within the home, addiction, alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, it was just those same pervasive issues that sure. we kind of hear about. Sure. And I was able to start making a connection between those issues, those social ills and actual mental health diagnosis. Um, and so I did that, ended up becoming a clinical director at an agency in Dunwoody in 2013. And so that really kind of helped me to learn the administrative side mm-hmm. and the business side of working within the field of mental health. Mm-hmm. And then I actually got a phone call from a colleague that worked at Morehouse School of Medicine in 2014. And I actually had an opportunity opened up for me working in their public health department. Oh, okay. Um, so I actually spent three years working in the public health department at Morehouse um, and then eventually got licensed in 2015. And then I eventually became the assistant director of counseling services, uh, still at the School of medicine so Woo-hoo. it's been a uh, pretty mm-hmm. cool you know well, congratulations at, thank you so much everything mm-hmm. looking um, back at um you know just eight years you know really kind of traversing the field going from a pair pro and now you know working at a major institution in a director's mm-hmm. role uh, i don't take that lightly at all mm-hmm. you know, i understand the importance of that so why mental health on uh so i mean be, did you have an experience as a child or knew someone or a family member you know or? i didn't I didn't, you know, um, as a child, my mom always told me, you know, Vaughn, you know, you, you, you're just like your mom. You're such a caregiver. You know, you yeah. always want to make sure that people are, you know, in a, in a good place or what have you. Yeah. So, um, you know, people typically kind of talk about, you know, they're the friend that people normally go to with their issues. Yeah. So I yeah. always yep. had a, an ability to connect and communicate with people. Which is um, a gift in itself. It absolutely. It absolutely. Really is, right? You know, because if you think about it, that's what an educator has to do. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what I do in therapy sessions and um, just kind of working in the community is education because mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't know the bare basics of mental health. So mm-hmm. um, it wasn't a specific goal, you know, as a child. It's not, you know, some people want to be doctors and lawyers. Mm-hmm. You know, I honestly, this is kind of uh, just a, a funny point about me. I just wanted to have a job where I could dress nicely and wear a suit. And be <laughs> yeah, 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 I understand that. You know, but just you not mean you really. you ain't want your pants to say? Uh, absolutely. Uh, but of course we go through our phases or what have you but as a child I just, I just wanted to have a job you know to where I could you know just wanted to be a professional good for you um when I was when I was an undergrad I got a job I had a friend who had a family member that owned seven group homes here in Atlanta oh, okay and so of course as a college student you know he kind of approached me and said hey you know we kind of need some folks working so I said did yeah. you intern or did you work I, I worked okay. so I started mm-hmm. off so I got my start working in mental health as a tutor at group homes here in Atlanta oh wow um, and then the company, eventually, they needed some direct care providers, which was essentially the people that stayed at the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here I was at 21, 22 years old, going to school Monday through Thursday. And then Thursday evening, I would pack a bag and I would stay at a group home from wow. Thursday until Sunday. Mm-hmm. And this was every weekend for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mm-hmm. latter part of my, my undergrad experience. And as I was telling you offline, um, all of the young men were from, they were either in DFAX custody or DJJ custody. Okay. And so. What is DJJ? Department of Juvenile Justice. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, DFAX is Department of Family and Children's Services. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they had to have therapists that would come out, like therapeutic teams that would come out and work on skills and, you know, kind of um, help alleviate so address and alleviate some issues with the plan of transitioning them back into their homes. Mm-hmm. And so the young men, you know, they were very um, confrontational with the therapists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they were very. I'm sure. Uh, aggressive, you know, they were cursing them out, you know, not showing wow. up for appointments the whole nine. And so I ended up being the, I guess, the liaison, you know, so I was sharing a lot of information. Of course, it was protected health information, mm-hmm. um, but that was needed for their therapist to be able to kind of continue the treatment. Sure. And so the, if you kind of go back to what I said about being able to connect with people as a child mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, really kind of understanding that the therapists weren't able to connect with the young men, I said, okay, so this is a void I can really kind of fill. So mm-hmm. that's initially how I got my start. I had a couple of family members that were doing some work associated with psychology uh, within the school settings. And so just kind of taking all those different parts and blending them together, I really kind of was able to develop a field or develop a, a track within a field that not a lot of people that look like us are mm-hmm. in right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. 
So you would say your sweet spot is what age range right um, now? So it's mm. it's not a particular population. I say I work you know with anyone from eight to eighty um, okay. because <laughs> what happens is because there are not a lot of practitioners, you have to go where the need is. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so I've had individuals of all races, all creeds and credos, um, and all ages and various uh, clinical diagnosis. So mm-hmm. I've worked with uh, the Hispanic population before. I've worked with at an agency where I was the only black male therapist, and so mm-hmm. every single person on my caseload was a, a black male teenager. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked um, in rural areas, urban areas, suburbs, in a city, you know, so there's not a particular population. Um, my responsibility is to get the information out, is to provide high, quali- excuse me, high quality care and treatment for our clients, um, mm-hmm. and just to be a go-to person um, mm-hmm. because it's something that's not talked about a lot within our community. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is there, like, um, having worked with different ethnicities, do you find a different type of mental health need, like, amongst different ethnicities? Like, is it a, you so, get what I'm saying? Something yeah. more predominant. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you do have specific to a specific culture. To you a do culture. Have some mm-hmm. cultural-specific um I guess, issues that are faced, mm-hmm. a lot of them are rooted in our response to the American society and what we have access right. to and what we don't have mm-hmm. access to. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I can say is that Atlanta has a huge Hispanic population and the amount of services that are available to them are close to little to none. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here we find ourselves, um, you know, not even speaking a certain language, you mm-hmm. know, but really just trying to do our best in providing care for that population. Sure. I think that when we're looking at, let's kind of take the, the African-American population specifically, mm-hmm. right? Um, of course, you know, uh, have a, a, a dedication to, you know, working with our people. Um, I think some of the major issues that we face are uh, behavioral issues. Yes. You know, behavioral issues in a response to um, drugs and addiction, mm-hmm. behavioral issues in response to economic issues and not being able to provide support for yourself and for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, suicide is becoming a very, yeah. very, very heightened issue within our community because mm-hmm. uh, you have people that are feeling hopeless mm-hmm. at this yeah. point. You know, we if you kind of look at the history that our people have kind of, you know, that we've kind of had to endure you mm-hmm. know, over time, you know, there never has been a specific plan for the African-American community. You know, mm-hmm. there never has been a specific um, investment within the community. It's always saying, you know, well, you guys have to kind of pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. And so we kind of sure. pull all these bootstraps together and we say, mm-hmm. man, we're, we're dealing with miseducation and we're dealing mm-hmm. with incarceration and we're mm-hmm. dealing with sterilization and we're dealing mm-hmm. with all these different issues just so that we can kind of get to a level playing field to actually engage in some progress. So, mm-hmm. um, Specific in terms of response to society and a lack of resources and a lack of access to resources, what mm-hmm. I would kind of say. Yeah, I can see that. And so I, I feel wanna, like I want to get into this topic real quick. Yeah, yeah. Did you want to add one more point? No, I, well, I was thinking that, you know, um, there's certain environments, and I guess maybe this might be a good segue, maybe, but there's certain environments that I think might be breeding grounds, kind of like for mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. you can talk about, you know, all the violence that's going Absolutely. on in the communities and kids experiencing the trauma. Absolutely. So trauma is something that everyone experiences. So trauma is actually kind of likened to concussions. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so there's a concept called micro concussions to where mm-hmm. you may just kind of slightly, you know, bang your head or something like that. And you're not really feeling the effects of the concussion. Mm-hmm. Now we know a lot of football players, what have you, or individuals that are in major accidents, you know, these concussions are knocking them out. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Same thing with trauma, you know, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of micro trauma that people experience and they're not sure. even really recognizing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then when you kind of couple that with a lot of traumatic experiences, whether you're seeing a friend getting, um, getting murdered, mm-hmm. whether you're seeing exactly or, a parent or yeah. um, you know, all those different things. And that's when it kind of brings out all of those small, minor, micro traumas to where you're at a point to where you're kind of giving up and saying, you know what, forget trying to live a, a you know a certain type of life, yeah. you know, forget mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing. You know, yeah. my mom is on drugs and my, yeah. my dad yeah. is incarcerated. Yeah. My best friend got killed. I have nothing. So I'm going to go out here and do what I know the best thing to do. You know, and if that means having to rob someone or having to shoot someone or, you know, then that's what, you know, it's almost like a, a survival type. Yeah. Yeah. So approach. okay, let's 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 have a footnote right there because okay. I want to come back to that. Cause, okay. Because mm-hmm. I have a theory and I want to see what you think about okay. my theory as it relates to trauma in our communities. Right. Um, but let's let's get into the the subject today, which is um, brothers, get your mind right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Black men and mental health. I mean, y'all, wh- why is it still so taboo and hard for our black men to talk about when they're having issues? You know, whether it's something as, as simple as, not even simple, but something like going through depression or anxiety. Um, and then obviously when you have more serious disorders, whether it's 
bipolar disorder, uh, schizophrenia, you know, BPD, what have you. Um, and then we can talk about the entertainers that mm-hmm. have been diagnosed but don't really deal with it and then they self-medicate um, mm-hmm. on recreational drugs. You know, I, what do you think is the big reason? I mean, you know, <laughs> one of my theories that I think about this is that um, strength for the black man is kind of like a is like our cornerstone. We have to have that. If we don't have strength, then it feels as if we're kind of like subjugated to all of the historical things about us or stereotypes about us. Mm -hmm. So if there's no strength involved, and I think that we have a misconception of what strength is. Like, I always was of the belief that vulnerability is strength. Yeah, but not necessarily with our... Not with us. Like, we think that's weakness. We think that's weakness. Right. 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 But it's the opposite. It takes right. a lot of strength to like something to be vulnerable. Right. 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 Absolutely. And so that's not something that's taught to us. We're kind of taught like, you know, stop crying. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're like, like man up. Man up. Exactly. Toughen up. And I mean, you'll hear people saying it to like a three-year-old that deserves to be crying in this moment. Right. But right. like, you know, man up, like toughen up, blah, blah, blah. You know, or you don't want to act like a girl or this, this, mm-hmm. and this, you know, or you're always emotional. Mm-hmm. And that comes from both sides of the sexes. You might have men that say that to you or women that say that to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And so I yeah. think that when that happens, you kind of internalize like for men emotions are not necessarily a real thing that's a woman's thing Mm -hmm. or you know the Mm -hmm. things that i feel are not necessarily as important as the things i need to do right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't know i think that it creates kind of like a taboo for us to be able to step out on the ledge and be like i'm kind of hurting right now right you know and and to kind of to buttress what you're saying um so that's the approach we take with little boys but then with men we say well you're the man you know, mm-hmm. you're the man. You're supposed to be tough. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be the provider. You're supposed to be strong. You're not supposed to be weak. You're the man. You're supposed to be able to bear the brunt and the burden of any type of issue that comes, you know, your way. You're supposed to be able to stand with your chest out, your back mm-hmm. straight, and be mm-hmm. able to deal with it. And if you don't, then you're not man enough for me. That's mm-hmm. the Guess message what? That but we're people hearing. don't look at mental health as health. No, you know? they they don't. I would agree with that. I think that it's no different than physical health. Right? Exactly. I think they exactly. think that mental health is either extreme or it's not real. Right. You know. So let me. So I want to address that, and I want to yes. go back and answer your first question. Okay. okay. So really quickly. So we're looking. There's a difference between mental health and mental illness. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I had an opportunity mm-hmm. to present to maybe about thirty mayors, mm-hmm. um, about two to three weeks ago. And we talked about you know the importance of. Um, mental health and, and healthy communities. So mental health, you're essentially looking at, it's synonymous with your physical health. You're looking at a, a sense of well-being. That's mental health, okay? So mm-hmm. your ability to be able to engage in your social um, activities, your ability to engage in educational work and life, um, just to being able to do, to do that in a positive sense, that's your mental health, mm-hmm. your well-being. Your mental illness or mental illness, you're looking at specific clinical symptoms. Um, and so essentially, you know, if you're having... Um, you know, you're hearing voices. If you are, you know, having delusions or hallucinations, mm. if you're noticing different behaviors or behavioral responses to uh, trauma or stress, you know, that's those are, exactly. Mm-hmm. So those are specific uh, symptoms that address mental illness. And so, like you said, it's very synonymous with physical illness and mental illness, mm-hmm. physical health and mental health. You know, right. so that's how we really want to be able to look at it. Okay. To go back to what you were asking about black men and, and mental health being taboo. So I completely agree with him. Um, but I look at it three different things. You have to look at your history, your resources, and then image. Okay, mm-hmm. so he, so Free already talked about image in terms of of what we project on our our young men and even our adult men, and you know what they're supposed to do or how they're supposed to respond to certain situations. Okay, mm-hmm. historically, um, if you look at how mental illnesses have been treated, not just within the black community, but you know it's in America in general, going back hundreds of years, uh, the whole purpose was to remove people both physically and psychologically from the community. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that's where the whole concept of um, insane asylums came from. Mm-hmm. And so they will build these asylums far off away from city centers, mm-hmm. and so that when you know if your child you know was exhibiting some different you know symptoms or symptomology, they will say, okay, well we have a treatment center for them way off here, what have you, and it was mm-hmm. essentially a boarding place to where you sent that child and that child was removed from the home so you didn't have to worry about those issues and then they were also uh, removed from the community and so that has kind of traditionally been passed down and so when we talk about mental health Mm -hmm. we kind of push it away because traditionally it was to remove this Mm -hmm. from you Mm -hmm. know society um, in order to deal with it. That's a great point. And so what we Mm -hmm. replaced it with was um, specifically within the African African American community um, and it's a couple different factors that kind of add to this but the one thing that we are taught to do is to pray it out you know, mm-hmm. and and um, you know, everyone and you has their different. I mean, and it's okay. You, sh- right. you should couple prayer 
right with care right absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely but um you know there are so many different layers to individuals you have a physical a spiritual a psychological and emotional etc and so if our if we were to walk out right here right now and break our leg we wouldn't say you know okay pray over it and then you'll right. you'll be healed we'll say right. go get some medical treatment mm-hmm. and so if our approach to being physically broken is to go and seek immediate uh physical immediate medical treatment then why is the same approach not taken when we're emotionally or mentally or behaviorally broken absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So tell me, um, what have been your experiences, you know, having worked or with you working rather at Morehouse, um, which is an all black uh, Morehouse School of Medicine, right? right? Which is a predominantly African-American med school. Absolutely. Absolutely. Traditional HBCU. um, So my experiences there have really kind of been um, they've been rewarding, you know, so I actually got to get kind of get to be immersed within um, the research side of mental health, Mm -hmm. you know, really kind of being able to get inside the the um, stakeholders that can kind of affect policy. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at um, policy changes that happen with the legislation, they rely on research studies. And so I'm in a place to where we can really kind of engage in research. We can, you know, we have access to the community. We mm-hmm. are located within the Atlanta Promise neighborhood. And so essentially that means it's like a 1.5 mile radius around the AUC. And so we, uh, our institution, Morehouse, Spelman, Clark, Atlanta, um, we dedicate resources and services to these different MPUs. So, so do you work with just Morehouse School of Medicine or you yeah. work with the AUC as so well? So I, I work specifically with Morehouse School of Medicine with our students, but I do collaborate with other professionals within the AUC. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Very good. Free? Nice. Um, any questions? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I'm I, still kind of like thinking of the mental health versus mental illness okay. thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I do think that that might be one of the other issues of why we don't seek help because we put it all we together. Meaning exactly. We meaning African American men, okay. um, and even the community at large, but especially men, because I think we think all of it is the same, right? Yeah. You know, if right. it's if it's some kind of, or we also think that um, maybe a lot of it is emotion versus psychological, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, so we start to kind of like try to fight or manage our emotions. Versus thinking that like this might be something that is a little bit deeper rooted okay. that you need to unpack or you need someone else to sit and listen to you through. Okay. So I think that um and and I don't know I think that that's one of the main things that we have to kind of uh, educate ourselves on and and the vulnerability thing is that we I think have to start teaching like that vulnerability is strength because it says that you can kind of handle what comes at you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and it means that you're able to kind of deal with it in a in a responsible way. I have a question. Um, mm-hmm. Based on the ratio of students that you deal with at okay. Morehouse School of Medicine, have you found that there were more black women versus black men that actually would seek out treatment or counseling? Absolutely. And so I do think mm-hmm. part of that is attributed to um, just the ratio of mm-hmm. students at the institution. Okay. I want to say it's almost two to one women, two men. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but what I do realize is that um, the nurturing part mm-hmm. of women mm-hmm. really kind of allows them to really you know, be vulnerable enough to seek out assistance. Mm-hmm. And it could be, oh, my goodness, I think I, you know, have just failed a test and now my whole medical career is over to, mm-hmm. you know, we may have some women that come in with some serious personal issues, mm-hmm. maybe um, associated with dating, relationships, um, family, mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature. We also have to remember that a lot of our students are just coming to Atlanta for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them are just coming to the United States for the first time. And so there are a lot of issues associated with stress, anxiety, and then it could actually kind of, end up kind of, you know, being coupled with depression. Is down that the kind road. of the same you find for the men as well? With the men is so it's not necessarily with men they want to do more fact finding. Mm-hmm. You know, so they okay. want to say, okay, so this is kind of what I'm thinking. So help me kind of yeah. process my thoughts. Yeah, yeah, they want to analyze. Exactly, it's right. not, it's mm-hmm. not. Got to be an answer to it. Exactly, yeah. it's not as much emoting. Yeah. But um, one thing is that when I when I have individuals within sessions, um, it's again, it's it's an education process. So mm-hmm. you know, yes, we will we will probe and we'll kind of you know peel back some layers, but. My clients will tell you, I'm getting, you know, I have a whiteboard, I have like the the, uh, the tearaway paper, and we're drawing mm-hmm. charts and graphs and pictures, you know, because mm-hmm. I really want to make it um, applicable to their mm-hmm. lives and really kind of, you know, make sure they're having a good understanding. And mm-hmm. so with me being a visual learner, I'm a visual educator. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really try to make sure that I, you know, really kind of help them process their thoughts and their feelings and really kind of, you know, allow um, some clinical you know, portions of that to really kind of address mm-hmm. some of the issues that they're facing as well. Do you find that the African-American men that come
come and talk to you and they're a part of those sessions, are they more open to it? Do they come back? So they are. And and the reason why they, they come back is because I, I take an approach of, you know, not necessarily, you know, okay, so. So do you break down the stigma with them? Absolutely. Okay. You know, and I make sure that we talk about real men issues. You know, yeah. I talk mm-hmm. about, you know, some of the things that I faced. You know, I, mm-hmm. I often refer to my relationship with my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I have a son, so I talk about, you know, my relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about the different experiences that I've had, you mm-hmm. know, um, and just kind of, you know, being stressed and really kind of build a career and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And then we also do some uh, some imagery and I help them to reframe their thoughts on certain things, you know, mm-hmm. so when okay. they're, you know, just thinking that life is over, I have to help them yeah. understand, you know, listen, like some of these problems that you have, these are good problems to have, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that I think I've found um, to kind of piggyback on what you said, mm-hmm. um, some of the things that I think that I've found with black men specifically is that um, when you give them as you're giving them your story and kind of right. allowing them to know what you've been through, right. it kind of gives them permission to give theirs too. Absolutely. You know, so like if we have something that we feel like we can relate to or it's this moment where that guard can be down because somebody else is going to fill us, then mm-hmm. we're more open to talk about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if like you're sharing and you're kind of getting somebody has like one or two word answers mm-hmm. or or it seems like they're kind of, um, I don't want to use the word diagnose, mm-hmm. but um almost interrogating or they're allowing you to they're a lot more closed off because they feel as if like oh this is a moment where i have to like defend my strength right. you know what i'm saying right yeah it's so the interview process and the 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 one-on-one is very very important because it's completely impossible for me to treat you as an individual if we're just going off of small short answers mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so my first session with any uh client or consumer um it's gonna be. It's not gonna be a fact finding mission. It's just gonna be rapport building. Mm-hmm. You know, so we may we may talk about your specific issues for maybe about five to ten minutes. You know, but we're gonna develop a relationship because mm-hmm. it has to be a relationship moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. And so some of the things, same things that are in business relationships, romantic relationships, professional relationships, um, clear communication, mm-hmm. um, empathy is very important, mm-hmm. congruence, and unconditional positive regard. You know, those are things that we seek from any individual that we're connected with. Mm-hmm. And so that's my responsibility as a practitioner is to to ensure. Or, you know, confidentiality mm-hmm. to ensure consent and to make sure that you understand that anything that we discuss, you know, is is privileged information. How would you um, define unconditional? Like, what does that look like? Unconditional positive regard. So unconditional positive regard literally means uh, it's kind of coupled with empathy. So I'm looking at your what it is that you're saying from your perspective. And then I'm always um, just kind of going back and helping reframe these thoughts. or so maybe looking at something that you are um, discussing in a, in a positive light and saying, OK, so let's look at it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, or are there any alternative perspectives that you may, you know, have kind of left out? Mm-hmm. And what happens is as the conversation kind of goes on, people always kind of say, well, you know, I did forget to kind of tell you something. Mm-hmm. You know? And so mm-hmm. that's when I say, oh, OK, so mm-hmm. now we're really kind of, you know, really starting to peel back that scab and really kind of expose what's really the foundation. Um it's impossible to deal with any mental health situation unless you're dealing with the foundational issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you talk about the foundational issues, mm-hmm. right, in terms of like first sessions with from your experience with African-American men, uh-huh. how hard is it to break the ice to get them to even start peeling back those layers so mm-hmm. that they can really get to the root of what's going on or the foundation? So the one major part about psychology is just um, being able to relate. So mm-hmm. the first thing that I bring to the table with the first tools that I'm a black man as well mm-hmm. you know and so it's a lot easier as a black man I can just honestly say whether we're talking with friends or family members you know it's a lot easier to just really kind of be you know quote unquote vulnerable around people because you that can relate yes. exactly, for the most part exactly and so when we start to talk about different personal issues I have no problem with interjecting you know certain things that are kind of going on with me okay again so that it's um you know, it's a mutual, it's a mutual relationship. Cause I think a lot of times, and, and you can blame the media on this or whatever, mm-hmm. or, you know, the movies or what have you, but when you think about therapists, it's like so strict and right, the yeah, person right. is nervous right. and they don't want to open up and right. y'all therapy is not that. It yeah, doesn't have yeah. to be that. And it, you know, it may take seeing a couple of different therapists mm-hmm. until you mm-hmm. get the right one that you're comfortable with. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that if you are African-American, you only have to go to African-American right. therapists. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything works differently for the, you know, for some folks in the community, but it does help others. Yeah, we engage in therapy in ways we really don't even think about. So, right. um, I, I talk to my mom at least once or twice. Um, she may call me. 
three, four times a day. You know, but I try yeah. to talk to at least once a day, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I'm venting and, you know, kind of talking about things that are going on at work or this yeah. person that got on my nerve, that's therapy, yes. right? Mm-hmm. When the girls are getting together and they have some wine together and they're kind of talking about, mm-hmm. you know, their husbands or boyfriends or this, right. that, and the other, you know, that's therapy. When mm-hmm. the guys are getting together and watching the game and, you know, having a couple of brews and wings or what have you, we're kind of talking about our different situations, that's therapy. And so mm-hmm. we really don't understand that we engage in it in a lot more ways than we actually think. But we do know that when there are um, some serious issues, that it is okay for us to say, hey, you know, I need to allow myself to go and seek some professional help, mm-hmm. you know, because we're your, your mental health practitioners. Those are the ones that are really trained, mm-hmm. you know, to really kind of identify yeah. and diagnose and then treat specific issues. And that's yeah. what we're trying to do with Silence of Shame mm-hmm. is to just make it okay and normalize it. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And, it, and it, again, it's some amazing organizations out there. But Absolutely. with my background being in entertainment, you know, I really want to try to pull in more celebrities and, and, and continue to try to normalize that conversation because as much as people are on you know spotify and soundcloud right. and apple music right. listening to all their favorite artists they need to hear their artists say it's okay too because um and that's something i kind of want to touch on so like i've seen articles where like um chance the rapper has mm-hmm. kind of talked a little bit about his mental health right no specific mental illness for sure right. but his mental health um we've seen kendrick lamar mm-hmm. talk about who's in town tonight in atlanta we've uh-huh. seen him talk about his depression um and, and I could go on and on and on. What's his name? Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Exactly. Um, who we know in the past have been diagnosed right. um, with bipolar disorder. But a lot of them, um, and I'm not saying specifically which ones, but I've read where they have, you know, self-medicated and just kind of used drinking or smoking to, right. like, mask it or in their sense heal it, if right. you will. And and that's one thing that I want to continue to educate um, through all that we're trying to do with Silence of Shame, like that's one of the worst things that you can do exactly. is self-medicate. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of our men not self-medicating mm-hmm. and, and being okay with going to therapy and what the effects are? You know, if you do have, um, if you deal with mental health issues and specifically mental illness disorders, how that can have an adverse effect on you if you self-medicate. Okay, so self-medicating, we have to understand, and we're we're talking about alcohol, marijuana, maybe even prescription pills, um, and then maybe even some of our harder um, Schedule One narcotics, and so. Essentially, what we're looking at, self-medicating, it just causes a chemical imbalance. Okay, mm-hmm. and so if you're already having an an imbalance, you know, related to um, you know depression or anxiety, you know, if you if you're exacerbating that with drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. it's only sedating your your uh, immediate feelings, but it can actually cause longer term damage. So um, it's not helping you. Absolutely per not. Se. Absolutely. And not. I'm not being judgmental either. So I don't want anyone who's listening. To- listening to this podcast to think I'm being judgmental of right. anyone. I just want to offer solutions. Right, mm-hmm. but it's it's important um, and this is what I've been telling a lot of individuals you know, we have to start having these tough conversations. Yep, right. you know, true. And we have we mm-hmm. have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Right. I say that all the time. That's what we have quotes. to be because we will yep. never we will never address specific issues that yep. we're facing in our community mm-hmm. if we just kind of tap dance around it. We're, mm-hmm. we're setting our children up for, for failure. Yeah, we can't Absolutely. fix what we pretend doesn't Absolutely exist. Absolutely not. Right. Now, one thing I thought was really cool. I'm not sure if you all have seen the uh, the footnotes on on 444. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there's um there's one to where there's a group of maybe about ten to fifteen you know um, high profile actors and and, and 444 will be Jay Z's new album. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I'm sorry for Drop those that don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but um. When I saw it, I kind of just sat back with a smile and I said, okay, someone that was behind the camera gets it. Mm-hmm. And when you really allow yourself to, um, you know, peel back your personal layers, you know, and these men, they really kind of expose some things that we never really even knew about them. Mm-hmm. And it's not even necessarily about, okay, well, man, you know, such and such has been dealing with this. No, but it's just the whole act of. I'm not black, alone. Exactly. Black men, you know, talking about emotions and mm-hmm. emoting and talking about, you know, some of their past transgressions, you know. Yeah, I mean, powerful. I posted the other day that, you know, not that it was necessarily around mental health. I mm-hmm. think it was around family therapy right. that Jay-Z um, talked about his quote unquote therapist. Right. But that was huge. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? To even ha- just know that it was okay to talk to somebody. But what happens is that uh, for him. And even just to, to present an understanding, mental mm-hmm. health is a huge umbrella. Yes. It's a huge umbrella. So family therapy falls under that mental health umbrella. Mm-hmm. So does addiction. Mm-hmm. So does mm-hmm. um anger management. You know, mm-hmm. so does um you know, clinical diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about oppositional fire disorder, um, mm-hmm. conduct disorder, so does psychoeducation. So there was a point that you made earlier when you talked about um, our young men. What's happening is that there are, okay, so I'm, 
gonna dig deep a little bit right now. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's we go have, deep. Come on, so let's we go. have let's we go. have clinical diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we also have school based diagnosis. Right. All right. right. So Can you tell us Shant- the difference? Yes, Shanti absolutely. Had that conversation. Absolutely. So a so within the school, you have school psychologists that diagnose uh, individuals with school based mental health disorders. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are your um, conduct. Uh, mm-hmm. Disorders. Are we talking your, like grade school, high school? All, throughout, all of them. All okay. throughout, K through 12. Okay. Okay. okay, so any public school mm-hmm. has a school psychologist that's assigned to them, and they're actually the ones that sit in on IEP meetings. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that refer what is individuals. IEP? So IEP is an individualized education plan. Okay. All right, and these are for students that are in uh, special education or that are being educated in their least restrictive environments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And so um, your your school-based diagnoses are different from your clinical diagnosis. All mm-hmm. right. So school-based diagnosis would be something like ADD. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? A, a clinical diagnosis would be uh, bipolar disorder type 1 or 2. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, there's uh, five versions of that. The newest version is the, the fifth, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the, the table Bible for mental health practitioners, and that's what we use to diagnose individuals. Okay, There's no blood tests. There's no mm-hmm. urine sample that we take to say, okay, this person has, you know, major depressive disorder. You know, this person has generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a set of conditions that we look at based on onset, based on the duration, and also based on presenting um, behaviors. Mm-hmm. We do uh, collaborative interviews and collaborative inter- collateral interviews, excuse me, with individuals that um, are very close to our consumer or client to really get as much information to make a uh, professional diagnosis about mm-hmm. these individuals. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at psychoeducation, um, we have to be very, very, very mindful and in tune with how um, psychoeducation and, and school psychology and special education are all kind of intertwined. Mm-hmm. We have to be very careful on when we have um, these practitioners that kind of come and say, hey, you know, this uh, is what mm-hmm. you know, Tariq has really been, you know, acting up. You know, is anything kind of going on at home? And, you know, well, you know, we kind of we just want to kind of test them and see, you know, make sure mm-hmm. everything is OK. And then before you know it, you've signed your child away to be in special education. Yep. Yep. And statistics show that um, it's not helping. And the, the statistics show that there's like a one in five chance of graduating with a regular high school diploma once you are enrolled within special education. So this mm-hmm. is something that we really, we kind of know, but again, we push off to the side, you know, mm-hmm. because we want to remove mental health and mental illness from um, society, both physically and psychologically. Um, but what's happening is that this is exacerbating a system. You know, we can talk about the school to prison pipeline and all that, but this is where it kind of starts. Absolutely. And you'll notice that, well, I noticed when I went into those schools that they, um, clump all those kids together in the same Absolutely. room. Absolutely. So that could be someone with a mental health illness Absolutely. and someone with a behavioral illness. Absolutely. And they're in the same exact classroom getting the same exact treatment and they're not learning any. You know what I mean? Because right. you, you've seen, you know in your mind what you think of when you think of special education. Right. And that's someone that's in there who might have dyslexia mm-hmm. or someone because they have dyslexia they act out a little bit because they're embarrassed about reading exactly. you know or trying to learn and so now they're in this class where they're not getting any of that um, education and it's not being funneled correctly so exactly. I noticed that um, and that's what me and Shanti were actually speaking about at one point and I have a question though um, this may forgive my ignorance mm-hmm. when they say that someone has a chemical imbalance though right how do you um, test that chemical imbalance how do you know that that's what it is so you'll have to so there there are neuroscientists okay, okay that can actually do brain imaging etc okay, okay. So like MRIs exactly mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. that's not a normal practice that consumers would kind of go through to really kind of see um, you know if you what have specific, or, mm-hmm. right specifically you know there you kind of that kind of gets addressed before you get to that point um, okay these are individuals you're when you're looking at, at neuropsychology and neurosurgery and neuroscience you're looking at individuals with traumatic brain injuries mm. um, concussions mm-hmm. you know so that's something that's really kind of been uh starting to parallel with sports medicine yeah right now um and so that's when we're talking about a chemical imbalance the the common everyday person wouldn't go and get a, a and you know brain imaging to really kind of see specifically you know what's going on unless that's being recommended by your primary care yeah physician. i was gonna say i have seen that in care of people that i know mm-hmm. who have more serious mental illnesses right. mm-hmm. where they had were either having trouble diagnosing properly right. Um, just because you know it's so much gray area there exactly. in terms of symptoms overlapping exactly. for various disorders. Um, but yeah, you're right. And, and so when they, so when someone is like bipolar, is that considered a chemical imbalance though? So that, so not definitively. Okay. okay. So there is 
we're looking at a set of behaviors. Okay. 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 What happens with bipolar, you're looking at um, manic behaviors and then you're mm-hmm. looking at also depressed behaviors. Okay. And just the vacillation between the both. Um, can I say that there's not a chemical imbalance? You know, I don't want to say that that's right, right, not right, you know, attributed to that because, um, you know, I'm not sure what the research says, but I can, you know, be sure that there may be some correlation, you know. But mm-hmm. when you're looking at specifically bipolar and that's and something else about bipolar disease um, or disorder, uh, we tend to say that and use that term pretty loosely, loosely within mm-hmm. the African-American community, you know. So we kind of say, oh, well, you know, she just bipolar, you know, she just no, she just, you know, needs to mature sure a little bit, bit and, right. and, you know, get in control of her behaviors. Mm-hmm. Now, um, again, when you're looking at the diagnostic criteria, you know, mm-hmm. of something like bipolar disorder, they will, you know, there's a an onset age, you know, there's mm-hmm. a duration of the behaviors that you have to have to actually, actually observe before you can just diagnose someone with that. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't even be able to diagnose you with that in an intake uh, assessment. You know, I would actually go out and observe your behaviors at a home, at mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. school or work, you know, and then be able to kind of go and make a clinical diagnosis. Thank you for saying that, because yes. I think part of the hardest problem with people that are um, contemplating mm-hmm. seeking help for either themselves or a family member is it's not like it's, you know, a test you can take, right, to right. just say specifically what you have. And I think that is what makes some people leery mm-hmm. because it's not so easy right. and not so black and white right. where you can just say, oh, I can have one session and then determine or I can do right. a blood test and determine right. that, you know, I have this specific mental illness disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you say from an encouragement standpoint of someone that may have, you know, a, a young African-American boy who's starting to exhibit some symptoms that um, don't seem, I hate to say not normal, but you uh, know what I mean, that seem different in mm-hmm. terms of them being able to engage in their normal well-being. Like okay, so great question. I have a quick story for that, okay? okay? So I, when I was in high school, maybe around 10th grade is when I switched high schools. I was at Shambly in the magnet okay. program, mm-hmm. and then I uh, went to my neighborhood high school at Stevenson. Mm-hmm. And so um, they had gotten, I kind of got to the point to where I just, school just was not my thing anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't being challenged. It was just, you know, taking the same classes. You know, how many British literature classes do I have to take? How many, you know, <laughs> right, I just was right. not engaged. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I wasn't doing homework, wasn't performing well on tests, you know, but I was in the band. I was a drum major in the band. And so that was my focus, you know, when I was mm-hmm. at school. And so what ended up happening, uh, I remember my mom, she kind of said, uh, she had you know, kind of been observing some behaviors in me, noticing, you know, I wasn't performing, you know, up to my ability or what have you. And so, she went and she had talked, I guess, some some of her friends or co-workers. They said, you know, I think he may have ADD. Mm-hmm. And so she went and got this huge uh, mm-hmm. manual or something like oh, that, wow. you know, and had been reading it, reading it. And then one day she kind of called me in her room and said, you know, I want you to read this. I think you have ADD. And I said, well, you know, what makes you think that? Oh, well, you're not focused on your schoolwork. I said, I just I'm, don't want to do it. Right, <laughs> you know, right, I'm right. just not motivated by school. You know, right. I don't have, you know, a, a condition or what have you, you know, but – it was she was not wrong, you know, in her approach because she noticed a change in right. my behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but again, I was 15 years old. You know, I was mm-hmm. entering my warrior stage. I was mature and I was going through puberty. So how do you uh, tell the difference of whether a child has it or they're just not interested? Like so, you said. so what ends up happening? So number one, she did the right thing and making the observation. Okay. Okay. Now she tried to do the diagnosis as well, but that's just her background and working in medicine right. or what mm-hmm. have you. So I think just number one, observing, you know, mm-hmm. making those observations, and then if you're noticing that change long term, mm-hmm. you know, this is when you start to have conversations with the with the child, okay, mm-hmm. and not the conversations to where you're poking and prodding, but you just want to talk, okay, mm-hmm. because you can always have your detective hat on, you know, but just by conversing with your child, all mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, from there, if you're starting to notice some consistent themes, then you can actually reach out to, um, you know, just a number of different community based resources, you know, or just different uh, mental health agencies. Mm-hmm. Most will do a free consultation for you. Mm-hmm. OK. And you can actually discuss, you know, some of the observations you've noticed, um, maybe some even the changes, you know, that you're seeing. And then, you know, from there, you can kind of come up with a, a plan, you know, with your child and saying, hey, you know, I want you to meet someone just to kind of talk about some things. And maybe there's something there. Maybe it's not, you know, but being the proactive parent. Parent, uh, is the most important part. So I'm going to be the parent, okay. and I'm going to put on my male hat. All right. And my name is going to be Jim. All right, Jim. My name is Jim. Nice to meet you. My son is Randy. All right. All right? You know, Randy's mom has been noticing things that's going on with him, but okay. me being Jim, the tough guy, you know, I want Randy to toughen up. I mm. just think he's acting out. I don't think he needs to go see a shrink. Okay. He doesn't need to see a therapist. Ain't nothing wrong with my boy. Okay. My boy ain't got no issues. He ain't got, you know, we have nothing to be ashamed about in this family. And I don't want my boy to be labeled. Okay. How do you deal with a parent like that? 
well, uh, specifically an African-American man that is being the tough guy that does not want to accept the fact that it's not anything, it's nothing wrong with, you know, getting help for your son. Like you said, if right. you break your ankle, if you're playing football, you go and you get that dealt with. Mm-hmm. But that man doesn't want to think anything is quote unquote wrong with his child. I see that all the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. How so, do you handle so that? So the first thing I would ask, um, you know, because I'm, whenever someone's presenting information like that, of course, my detective hat is on, right? So the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, how old is he? Mm-hmm. Does he live with both parents? Does he live with the dad or does he live mm-hmm. with the mom predominantly? Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Is there anything? So if he lives with both, what do you do? All right. So if he lives with both, the first thing that I would do, I would actually meet with the mom and the dad together mm-hmm. because yeah. you all are the ones that are saying you are noticing some changes okay and so i'll meet with you all together it may be hard you know for you all to be able to kind of sit in the session together because the dad may have you know his perspective and the mom may have hers but again it's my responsibility to kind of dig through those details mm-hmm. okay after i meet with you all i will ask you know if if you all would like for me to meet with the child one-on-one mm-hmm. because there's a lot of information that children will give um, when their parents are not around exactly yeah mm-hmm. and especially when you develop that rapport and start to develop a relationship and not saying like a mentor, you know, big mm-hmm. brother, you know, but just, you know, being real with someone, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not that difficult to connect with teenagers. That's true. You know, it just takes some interpersonal skills, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I would meet with the young man because it may just be, he may be responding to, you know, issues that the mom and dad are having. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or the father's perspective. Exactly. It could be the yeah. father's perspective. It could be the mother's perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, how how has the dad observed his behaviors or, or you know, perceived his behaviors throughout his lifetime? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. is this perception or this, you know, I just want him to be tough, you know, toughen up a little bit because he's now 15, 16 years old or was he you know you got to be tough when he was two years old as well and Mm -hmm. so uh, what I've experienced and I've seen a lot of mental health illnesses Mm -hmm. rear their heads with men around 18 or 19 okay right Mm -hmm. and so when you look at that um, we have to look at the life stage that the young man is in okay Mm -hmm. so 18 and 19 just graduating from high school Mm -hmm. in American Mm -hmm. society we say when you graduate from high school you You turn 18 you're grown Mm -hmm. you flip the switch you know and you're expected to handle issues just as anyone that is an adult is supposed Mm -hmm. to handle right at 40 and then within the black community we have a tendency to say you know when you turn 18 my responsibilities are done (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. we're the only culture that does that Mm -hmm. you know the most cultures they say listen you know you don't leave the home until you can take care of yourself Mm -hmm. why am i sending you out to accrue debt Mm -hmm. you know and then Mm -hmm. why am i sending you out to help take care of the bills you know Mm Is most cultures and we we tend to, you know, look down on it or kind of, you know, make jokes about it. But, hey, mm-hmm. you know, there are some cultures to where, you know, there are two or three families that live within. Absolutely. Home. But yeah. guess what? Their home is paid for. Absolutely. You know, they are learning skills. Yeah. They going have now. And there's no help. There's no um, child care that they exactly. have to go through. Exactly. Transportation is taken Transportation, care of. Right. Yeah. You know, you have you may have within a home, you know, six different specialties going on. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't have to call a plumber. You don't mm-hmm. have to call an electrician mm-hmm. because it's all in home. And so Someone's we're looking cooking. at. Right. And so that's almost a group economic approach. Yes. You know, but within the, the African-American. American culture, we tend to say, you know, you got to go out there and get it on your own like I did, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's almost an abusive approach, you know, because then Mm -hmm. if you're sending kids out, you know, then they're going to they have no education, no money, no car, no home, no credit, no anything. Okay, Mm -hmm. the only thing they have is their energy. Okay, Mm -hmm. and what they can do. Now, Mm -hmm. we're talking about young men. We're talking about, um, you know, again, not and then not having the maturity either that's another right. mm-hmm. part that's not yeah, talked that's, about. Interesting. that's something that i wanted to touch on like that you said um earlier you said there are times because i noticed this too as um the conversation is opening up about mental health mm-hmm. there's times where it is a behavioral or maturity thing absolutely that um can be fixed you know and i think sometimes one of the reasons why people don't want to get mental health um assistance mm-hmm. is because they feel like if you tell me that something's wrong, then that means that something's wrong with my head and I can't fix that. Mm. Like my arm, I can put in a cast. Right. You know what I mean? Or there, But the medicines or anything else that may come along with a mental health issue, that means that like how does my life look now knowing that something in my head is kind of wrong? And that's why it's so important. It's going to sound so cheesy. That's why it's so important to silence that shame. Right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. That's what ends not up cheesy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to sound like a cheesy segue. Right? That's why it's important to silence the shame. You know, but, <laughs> shameless plug. Yes. But what ends up happening is that, um, you know, when we're really kind of looking at it, you know, we do kind of say, um, you know, I really don't want this to, you know, I don't want to be labeled. I don't yeah. want people mm-hmm. to kind of look at me. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's pride. 
you know, mm-hmm. and that's no our doubt. ego kind of coming in place, you know. So no if if this thing up here, if this brain is the epicenter for all human thought, behavior, mm-hmm. and activity, wow. then how are we not treating this? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. every single thing, you know, this, the, the concept of starting a podcast started here. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the concept of, of, of you know, building this Shoes, studio started phones, here. everything. Like, everything mm-hmm. started here. Yeah. And so imagine if you have you have seven billion people on this earth. Mm-hmm. If we are not treating this thing up here, mm-hmm. then maybe that's some of the reasons why we have a lot of the issues going on in, in, in society yeah. on a global scale. Mm-hmm. You know, we really don't make that connection and understanding a healthy mind leads to healthy behavior. Yeah, and healthy I, thoughts and healthy reactions. Absolutely. And sometimes I think we don't even recognize um how high up it can go. You know, there's people who are in control of major decisions and Absolutely. major things that need psychological help. Absolutely. And so that is also a trickle down effect. And so we look at most people with a level of status mm-hmm. or in a or we think that if there's something psychologically wrong that you can't simultaneously be um successful based right. on what we consider success, right. whether it's money or status or things like that. Right. But there's a lot of people in status or with money that need psychological help Absolutely. or that have to go see therapists. Absolutely. Right, so I'll give you some historical context. Um, we're talking about black men and, you know, black men get your mind right, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at how African-Americans were traditionally treated for mental mental illnesses, mm-hmm. um, going all the way back to slavery, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it sounds kind of cliche. We always bring up, up slavery, but this was the foundation mm-hmm. of our current day community, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. here in America. So um, there were three main mental health diagnoses mm-hmm. for um African-American, well, slaves during that time. You had uh, drapedotomania, okay? Mm-hmm. You're going to have to email this to me. It's <laughs> a history lesson right Got here. Got you. You know, so you had uh, drapedotomania, which essentially was um, individuals that were, I don't want to confuse drapedotomania and a muck, but individuals that wanted to rebel mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. their slave owners. Mm-hmm. That was considered a mental health uh, Oh, wow. Uh, a muck, you mm-hmm. know, came, which is where uh, the phrase running amok right. mm-hmm. kind of came from. Mm-hmm. Um, a muck was essentially slaves that wanted to um, run away from the plantation. You know, they wanted to mm-hmm. kill off the the plantation owners and run away. Mm-hmm. And then you had the third diagnosis was called freedom. Freedom mm-hmm. was considered a mental illness for um, African Americans post slavery. By who? Wow. So this was so. Um, this information comes from a book called Medical Apartheid by Harriet A. Washington, mm-hmm. and there was a physician down. I want to say either in South Carolina or in Alabama, but I know there are a lot of medical buildings at the University of Alabama named after him. So I forget his name off the top of my head. There was a 40-year-old black man that was brought to see him because he was exhibiting a lot of uh, symptomology associated with some mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. Okay, and his diagnosis pretty much said that because this man had previously been a slave and because now he all of a sudden has all this responsibility of having to care for himself and feed himself and know how to exist within society – it became too overwhelming for him psychologically. So this and was a so, bullshit diagnosis, absolutely, right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Sorry. I just absolutely. Had to say, excuse my language. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody listening. But, but what happens is these the same the same wow. way that things mm-hmm. are passed down genetically, yes. you know, there are things that are passed down in absolutely. terms of treatment. Absolutely. So when I was speaking earlier about, wow. you know, there's never been a plan. You know, mm-hmm. for African Americans within this country, there's always been a plan for other groups of people that immigrated here. Mm. We were the only people that wow. did not immigrate here and did not have a home country to go back to. Right, right. And so, because of that, we have no protection and there's no investment within us. And that's why we're that's experiencing deep. a lot of the issues that we're having right now. And, you know, I think when you think about it, even from that angle, um, you have to then, and I mentioned this on the last episode about. Um, her name is Dr. Joy DeGruy. Yes, Joy DeGruy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and she talks about how um, you have to think about the psychology of now the parent has to try to train their child mm-hmm. to not, quote unquote, want freedom or to run amok or, right. you know, to have right. these other things that seem like mental health issues right. because the parent's ideal is to protect their child. Absolutely. And so if the protection means to stand in line and be in line and be the way that you need to be just so it's less trouble for us and we can stay together longer and we don't bring about attention or any of those different things, it is also kind of psychologically disrupting the parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You get what I mean? Because they're starting to believe these diagnoses to be things that they want to avoid themselves. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about, um, to go back to the the school-based, you know, treatment of mental health, um, we take these kids that come from different households and different backgrounds and different, you know, just 
you know, foundations of life and we take them at age five Mm -hmm. and we say, okay, you have to come into this building, follow orders, sit down, be quiet, do what we say 100% of the time. And if you don't, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. These are five-year-olds. A five-year-old is supposed to is supposed to behave. It's supposed to be erratic. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to talk, you know, without really kind of understanding the nuance of conversation. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to interrupt because this is what they do at home. At mm-hmm. home, they go from room to room, toy to toy. You know, they interrupt. Con- this is what a baby does. This mm-hmm. is how they learn how to be an individual. But we say at a very early age, mm-hmm. you know, in public school, sit down. Be quiet. Do this work. This is what you're supposed to know. And we're taking, we say we value and champion, you know, uh, individuals coming from Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. backgrounds. And we say, but we want you all to be the same exactly, you know, the exact same as one another. You know, so it's it's so layered. You know, it's so, so layered. You know, so what some of uh, what Joy was saying, you know, in terms of, you know, us having to teach our kids how to respond to society, Mm -hmm. we're still not dealing with the foundational reasons of why we have to do that in the first place. Right, right. And that society might need the fix. Our children's children will be teaching their children Mm -hmm. the same things. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the same conversations that we're having right now were being had 150 years ago in this city. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. In this city. Mm -hmm. You know, so. That's an entirely different workshop that I think we need to do one day. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's very important. Absolutely. The last thing I want to talk about, I want to go back to trauma. Okay. um, Because I am starting to do a lot of research Mm -hmm. and plan on um, doing some content around this. Um, When you talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've been talking to other people in the field, other clinicians, and and they agree that when you talk about these young African-American boys, Mm -hmm. whether they're in Chicago, right, Mm -hmm. with all the violence there, any urban inner city like Atlanta, Uh you know, these, I remember I was watching the news and it was a young boy that was leaving a party with Mm -hmm. two of his friends. And I think they were like maybe anywhere between 12 and 14 or maybe 14 and 16. One of the kids got shot and died right there in front Mm -hmm. of them. So when you think about the military and PTSD, mm-hmm. but it's PTSD in the hood. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can, can we talk about the trauma and talk about are there any kids that you've seen or any of your colleagues, are they diagnosing any of these young black boys with PTSD from mm. seeing the trauma in their neighborhoods? Like, we, am we, I thinking along the right lines? You're, or? You're, you're right on track. So we tap dance. We tend to tap dance around it. I'm talking about just the general community, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll diagnose them with conduct disorder yep. and oppositional defiant yep. disorder and mood disorder. and gen- mm-hmm. You know, but we won't say this it's is post-traumatic. This is, this is, you yeah. know, associated with trauma, you know, because these young men are, are within a culture of poverty, within a culture of violence, you know, and what happens is that when that's your normal Mm-hmm. you're not able to see a different type of normal from another lens. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these young boys say, you know, you already don't understand what kind of goes on here. Mm-hmm. You know, they were saying, yeah, but you don't understand, you know, how different it can be. And there's not really a a true effort, you know, for the two different it's ideologies kind of blend, right? Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening, um, we need to understand and stop allowing violence and poverty and, you know, things that are associated with that to be associated and correlated with African-American African. society. That's not Just traditionally what's been done within our communities. Okay, mm-hmm. poverty is a result of economics. Mm-hmm. You put any group of people in an impoverished yes. situation, and the same behaviors will come about. Mm-hmm. The same kill. You know what's going on in Chicago is not any. That has been going on in Chicago for 50-some-odd But let's years. talk about, though, how the kids are reacting to it. Okay. Because like, I just don't think people are owning up to what they are experiencing is right. trauma. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Because I agree is, with everything you're saying. Yeah, it is. Um, so I really try to delve deep, mm-hmm. you know, into what's been going. You know, Chicago is such a hot topic, right? So, mm-hmm. okay, let's try to address that, you know, head on. Uh, when I started really kind of peeling back the layers and understanding where a lot of these killings were coming from and how it's kind of associated with, you know, the underground music scene and how, you know, that coupled with, you know, the drugs that kids are using right now, you know, um, lean and prescription pills, you know, these are doing things that, you know, it's starting to, you know. Um, so are they using that to cope with the trauma? They, I think, think they're, I think they're using that to cope. And because what happens is, if that's it's just popular. the com- if that's the common and popular thing that people mm-hmm. are doing, they're becoming addicted and not really understanding. When you're drinking lean, that's essentially like shooting up heroin. It's yeah. an opiate. Yeah, you know, it is an opiate. You know, and so the destruction that's having on a developing mind and body, it's kind of, it's almost like a, 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 like a conundrum. It's almost like a, you know, a, a perfect storm of 
you know, um, economic conditions, you know, experiencing trauma, available drugs, available um, opportunities to go back and immediately deal with these feelings and engage in violence against someone else. Mm -hmm. So how would you define PTSD um, just in general? And then Mm -hmm. let's go over how some of those symptoms look with some of these boys. Okay, so PTSD, so the first thing we have to look at is, okay, so this is an after reaction. Mm -hmm. So after trauma happens, this is our immediate and long-term reaction to it, all right? And it is how we react to it based on stress. Okay. okay? So stress exhibits itself in two different ways. Physically, um, stress, there are actual physical um, so symptoms that we have. Yeah. Well, a trigger, so a trigger is something that happens within the environment. So okay. let's say that, let's say that. Or the uh, violent act is the trigger. Exactly. Yes. Got exactly. It. That's like the antecedent right. event. Okay. Right. And so. Um, with stress, you have the physical symptoms, and you also have the physiological, you know, which is the fight or flight. Okay, mm-hmm. and what most of these young men are doing, they're choosing to fight. You know, I the see. the stress. You know, they're choosing to fight, fight the, the, stress. the stress or the trauma. Okay, yeah. and so by doing that, their choice in fighting it, that's the self medication that's I going see. out. And you know, you killed my brother, you killed my homeboy, so I have to go back and do that to you because my feelings are hurt, mm-hmm. and so, I want you to feel the same pain that I'm feeling. Would you say that essentially? Because um, I think you used the the right word. I think essentially these people are coping. Absolutely. So, like, they're using the drugs as a coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. whereas what is ironic, though, like, you know, Xanax and different things like that, are drugs prescribed for um, mental health things, you know, to illnesses. illnesses. So it is meant to help illnesses, but then it's being abused by people who really might have problems with these things. Right. And now it's becoming a popular trend. Exactly. Is it like... um, Which is leading to addiction, which is another mental health issue. That's exactly what I wanted to say. Right. Um, you know, it, so it's almost like they're creating new mental health issues by trying to cope with the one that hasn't been diagnosed. Absolutely. And so I guess if if I were, you know, picked up from Atlanta and placed right in the, the, the middle of, you know, the South side or the West side of Chicago, um, so quick story again, I had mm-hmm. a mentor that was a principal of Austin High School, which is on the west side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he invited me. I was in Chicago for a public health convention. He invited me to come to his school and talk to some of his seniors mm-hmm. that were graduating. These are students that were getting ready to graduate, you know, a semester later. And so um, eight o'clock in the morning, I'm there, you know, suit and tie, bow tie the whole nine, you know, mm-hmm. ready to roll. Right. And so when these young kids came in the room, um, just again, you know, our, our implicit bias, you know, um, most of them looked like they didn't want to be there. You know, mm-hmm. they just did not. You would not think that they were senior students getting ready to graduate from high school and wow. go to college. Uh, half the students were high in the classroom. Mm. Okay, half of them were high because it's just common practice for them to walk to school, smoke, you know, or take a pill or two, you know, mm-hmm. and then just kind of deal with the stress of the day. Okay, now it's not my responsibility to go into your community and tell you what, you know, what you should be doing specifically or what you're doing is so wrong because, mm-hmm. you know, them using, you know, marijuana or prescription pills or even lean or what have you, you know, or Molly, you know, that may be helping them cope, you know, with having to walk home, you know, and, mm-hmm. and walk past, you and know, hearing gunshots. With the or, fear. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's, mm. You know, I use the word layered so much because, you know, you deal with one, you have to deal with, you know, the surface level to really mm-hmm. kind of get to the, you know, that root or that foundation, sure. you know, sure. and you could be addressing addiction and really kind of completely miss, you know, the depression that's associated with this kid's mom dying, right. you know, and so that's where, you know, it takes, it takes a, this is almost a transgenerational thing, mm-hmm. you know, because you have some people that grew, you have some kids that grew up in a home with a single parent that had an extreme mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And so the child may not necessarily have, you know, a specific diagnosis, but we're, we're products of learned behavior. So we may be learning how to respond or to deal with certain things based on behaviors that we're seeing our parent that actually has a clinical diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, and their approach to, you know, responding to certain environmental right. triggers. So, it's a oh, it's a lot. It's it a is lot. a whole lot. It's so much work <laughs> this to be is done. Like ten episodes, exactly. right? That exactly. we could go into. Um, gosh, I just want thank you so much. Oh, you, Shasha, I I'm could here. talk to you all day. I'm here. You're so I'm knowledgeable. Here. I'm here. Um, and I just commend you on the work you're thank doing you so in the much. community. What you are trying to do, obviously, mm-hmm. to help our black men, absolutely, in our community. Um, and I think there's a lot of great work that we can do together. Absolutely. Um, between Vaughn Gay and Silence of Shame. Absolutely. Um, any final words? from you, Vaughn? Uh, so I do, I do have one shameless plug. So, um, And I actually spoke with you about this maybe a mm-hmm. month ago. So something I'm working on, an initiative I'm working on right now is doing a, uh, a community mental health pop-up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we really kind of, uh, you know, think about like underrepresented populations or, or underserved communities. Um, but in Atlanta, I see a huge space within the young professional. 
uh, population of where we're not really dealing with mental health issues. And so this is supposed to be our educated vanguard, it's supposed to be, you know, leading our communities or what have you. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of, of uh, mental and behaviorally emotional issues that I'm noticing. So I really am a... Uh, in, in the works right now with an agency here called uh, Esquire Agency, uh, one of my brothers that, you know, really kind of does a lot within the professional space. And so we're mm-hmm. going to be working together and collaborating and doing some of uh, our initial pop-up shop for the young professional crowd, hopefully within uh, two or three months from now. So I definitely mm-hmm. want to make sure that Silas of Shame is involved. And we would love to be Absolutely. Involved. You know, so that's just a brainchild of mine. Um, mm-hmm. Also working on some uh, curriculum to hopefully be placed within the school systems to address the mental, behavioral, emotional issues of African American. American boys and young men. So this is, you know, I've found a, a niche for myself and it's an amazing place to be able to, you know, know your your purpose and to know mm-hmm. what your calling is. And so it's just my responsibility to just, you know, wherever I'm needed in whatever capacity, if I'm able to do so, is to really, you know, um, bring this information forward. You know, this is, you know, people are interested in this, but they're not really sure what to think or how to think about mm-hmm. it. And so when we really kind of, you know, break a lot of those stigma, we really can say, you know, wait a minute. We've been dealing with this and addressing it, you know, really for a long time, but just not in a specific with a specific approach. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's why we're here to really kind of, you know, just kind of help and guide our community to really become a, a healthier mental, um, you know, have a healthier sense of mental health and well-being. I think mm-hmm. that's fantastic. And, you know, July obviously is Minority Mental Health Absolutely. Month. And so it's almost a shame we just participated um at an event that the Atlanta Housing Authority did nice. last Saturday, okay. um, they had a farmers market. Okay, and but we went out to talk about the importance of mental and physical, mm-hmm. right? How what you eat helps um, your mental and your physical. Oh, I was going to say I could talk to you about studies with um, you know how fast food and, yep. and mm-hmm. high saturated fat diets are being correlated with depression. Exactly, it's, it's so much. So it's that's so a lot much. of the of the information we're trying to get mm-hmm. out, and we want to talk to you more about that. We okay. also have a panel that we're doing on Wednesday. With the American Sushi uh, recording studio here in Atlanta, a small group. We're going to talk about music and mental health. Then on Saturday, we're partnering with Haven House Counseling at House of Hope. And we're going to um, replicate this podcast and do a panel called Brothers Get Your Mind Right, talking about black men and mental health. That's awesome. And then at the end of the month, we've been asked by the National Urban League to do a panel during their national conference in September. I mean, in um, at the end of the month okay. in St. Louis. And so there will be a Silence to Shame panel nice. at National Urban Week. Thank you so much. And and we have um, things that we're working on for September, which okay. is National Suicide Awareness okay. Month. And then October for October 10th on World Mental Health Day. So I want to talk to you about what we're doing with that. Awesome. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's so much that we're doing. Um, we're implementing a campus ambassador program. Okay. So we'll have campus reps right. at colleges right. around the country. Um, just a lot. It is a lot. Free, do you have any party words? Um, no, not that I can think of. Not at the current well, time. Well, thank you guys again. Um, yeah, and thank, thank you for being here. Yeah, no, I uh, thank you guys so much for having thank you me. Enough. Thank you. Um, this is episode six uh, of Silence of Shame. You can find us on iTunes and soon on the other digital service providers. Um, shout out to Cameron, our committee member who's in the building. Um, thank you again, uh, Joy, for all that you do for Silence of Shame. And shout out to Mean Street Studios with DJ Drama and the whole crew, Cannon and everybody over here. Um, thank you for allowing us to be a voice in the community and allowing us to, to basically record here free of charge. So mm-hmm. we don't take that for granted, and, and we appreciate Drama and his crew. That's mm-hmm. community building. It takes a village. Absolutely. We have to build within. We have to. All right, guys. So make sure you listen in, tell a friend about the podcast, and we'll see you next time on Silence the Shame Podcast. If you or anyone you love needs a hand, please shine light on the darkness. Spark the conversation. It's time we silence the shame. Let's talk about it.